Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, take, uh, take your Bible and uh, turn to Matthew 28. I hope that uh, perhaps you did, as I suggested. You took uh, the gospel account, uh, one of the gospels or all of them, and, and uh, during this week, this holy week, uh, walked your way through it from uh, the glorious Palm Sunday uh, to, uh, to the crucifixion and to today. And uh, I did it. I did it in, in three of the Gospels in my quiet study time, and it blessed my heart each and every day. Well, I want to uh, deliver a message I've entitled, The Resurrection, the Crown Jewel. Uh, t- and in Matthew 28, let's, uh, let me follow along as I read in the ESV the, the text uh, before us. Uh, verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance, that is, of the angel, was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Don't, Do not be afraid, and go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city, and they told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him. And they would do that, let me insert, by money or with money, and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. You see, they were at a distance yet. And then Jesus came, came to them, and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and here's the verb, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Well, the resurrection, it is certainly the crown jewel uh, of the Christian life. I don't know, perhaps uh, you'll have occasion. It is a small world we live in, isn't it? I'm always amazed every week in a church of our size and in the way that our people, uh, not all, but tend to move around the globe. Uh, it, uh, it is rather amazing to me. I mean, Jer- Jeremy just uh, compliments Uncle Sam, just came back from Italy. and Jim, you're over on the Persian Gulf there half the time, or China or somewhere else. And, and it, 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 it's amazing uh, to me. And sometime in the future, I mean, you may have a chance. You guys just came back from England and France. But you may have occasion to go to London, England. Faith and I have been there a couple of times. I had a preaching engagement in Liverpool once. I was always excited to go to Liverpool. I had to see the place where the Beatles came from to be able to stand there and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. I remember that horrible words of John Lennon. Do you remember that? Some of you don't. You weren't even born. We are more famous than Jesus Christ. I thought to myself, someday I have to go to Liverpool and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And the Lord gave me that opportunity to do that. I was so thankful for that. Well, when we were over there, part of the sights, and I know you guys love Paris more than London, but uh, London is, uh, is wonderful. Uh, the, one of the, among other things that you'll see there, Big Ben in Parliament, Westminster, St. Paul's, uh, you know, Christopher Wren's great cathedral. Some of you are going to be watching this week. I dare say mostly not the men of a wedding that's going to take place over there, right? I still, faith is still scoring around trying to find, what time is that anyway? What time is that wedding? You're like, I don't really care what time that wedding is. And you'll be watching that. But in addition to all that stuff, and that'll be at West, Westminster Chapel. Now, Faith and I, uh, Jonathan went with us. I, I, I shall tell you this. It was a beautiful, warm day. And everyone was, uh, there was a lot of people on the lawn of Westminster Chapel. And uh, at that point in the trip, I was out of, just about out of money. I only had a mon- enough money. John said, I got to go into Westminster. I got to go in. Okay, it was like 20 bucks or something ridiculous. I'm like, times 360. I don't think so. I'll buy the postcards, look at the picture. Jonathan, here it is, you go. Faith and I, we took a nap on the lawn of the Westminster Chapel. So when you see the wedding today, we were, we were with a whole bunch of others. They were just like, it's so beautiful. But, forget all that. When you go to London, the great thing to see is the Tower of London. I mean, it's an amazing place right on the river. Uh, when you go into this Tower of London to see, uh, and here, that, that's a guided tour. And they'll tell you all kinds of stories of kings and, and, and queens and dungeons, which makes it even more exciting. But then as a part of that, as a part of that, and here's the point, uh, you'll be able to take a tour through a highly guarded area and see the crown jewels of England. And they're priceless, they tell us. Priceless. Now to me... You know, it's not like something I'm going to buy faith for Mother's Day, you know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the jewels on it were, to me, okay, I'm ignorant and profane, I guess. They're gaudy looking. I mean, who needs all that gold and rubies and sapphires and, and all that kind of stuff? And the crowns, the various crowns, and the swords with all the jewels in it. I mean, you know, come on. How many of those do you need, you know? <laughs> But to the Englishmen and to those in the know over there, we're Americans, right? We're like royalty. What's that, you know? (laughs) 
it means something to them. That's why this wedding coming up next weekend is a big deal to the English. They'll all be glued to their TV sets because most of them are not invited. Because, see, these things over there, the crown jewels, are the symbol of the authority and the right to rule in succession uh, there in, the, in the, the UK, in England particularly, and to live at Buckingham Palace and all that. Now, I say all that to say what? Well, the crown jewels. Uh, the, today is the Resurrection Sunday, uh, and uh, it is the day we joyously celebrate uh, Jesus is rising from the dead. And here's the point. The, the resurrection of Jesus is the crown jewel. It's the precious, precious theological gem of the whole Bible. And without it, without it, without it, all is lost. There's nothing. You know, there are many folks that write books with advanced education and learning all kinds of letters after their name and have, particularly since the higher German critics of the 1800s into the 1900s. And uh, they began to teach in universities and theological centers and seminaries and uh, trained a, a, uh, men and lay women and, and so on in a theology that uh, has lost the empty tomb. And now uh, many of these mainline church are like, where is everybody? Nobody's here today. Well, people aren't stupid. You see, they, they realize if there's no resurrection and if the Bible's not trustworthy, why get out of bed on Sunday morning? You see? I mean, it's, it's, it is the crown jewel. And after having studied and proclaimed this from the pulpit since 1979, it's not changed one bit. Not changed. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen, just as he said. And therein lies men and women's only hope. It is it. The only hope. When we lay our loved ones through our tears to rest, as we get bad reports from physicians that patch us up the best they can, but we're crumbling, have you noticed? I had to go to the dentist this week. My tooth broke over in the Middle East, crunching away, grinding away, my grinder, right? He patched it up. He said, I'll do the best I can, but I'm not going to guarantee that one. You'll probably be coming in again, and he's going to crown me, not king of kings. But he's going <laughs> to crown me. It's crumbling. I've had, two, I've had three hips now. Here, I got the original equipment. I wore that one out. They said playing football or something, maybe wrestling. You got... Got uh, one, one metal one. That didn't work. <laughs> Praise God. Tomorrow's eight months. I'm feeling so much better. Thank you for your prayers. Wow. Thank you for praying for faith. She had to live with me the last two and a half years. Wow. She said I was grumpy a little bit. But our bodies are wearing out. They're wearing out. It is the resurrection. Because he, ra- he rose from the dead, if you're in Christ, you too will rise. And there is no other hope apart from Christ. None. Not Hinduism, certainly not. Not Mohammedism. He's dead. That's it. Nothing there. Nothing in Confucianism. That's totally confused. It's only in Christ. It's only in Christ. It's the only great so-called world religion where the whole foundation is based upon the exiting of its founder from the tomb. That is the Lord Jesus. Oh, and that's why the church meets, incidentally, every Sunday. 
How did Jewish folks that were so ingrained in the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Sabbath, meeting on Saturday, I mean, it was a Sabbath day. How did they all of a sudden change and begin to meet on the first day? of the? It had to be an enormous, momentous thing, and it was the empty tomb. And they began to meet on the first day of the week. Well, knowing this, knowing that this is the keystone, you know, they call Penn, uh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> say Penn State, they call Pennsylvania the keystone state, like in an arch. You know, that very center one holds it all together. This is the keystone, another metaphor in thinking about the empty tomb of Jesus. Knowing that that is all important, it's no wonder Satan has unleashed some of his greatest and most brilliant critics to attack the empty tomb of Jesus. I mean, he has unleashed the fire of hell to attempt to stamp out into ruin that people would lose their Bible and lose the message and have no gospel. And he has unleashed it. And we know that. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. And yet, he is not here. He's risen, just as he said. I want to do a simple message today. <clears throat> They're the best. They're the ones that I seem to be able to best understand. <laughs> I want you to be a jury, and we're simply going to present uh, this morning uh, two evidences, and perhaps you've heard it like this before. There are two historical facts that if you're going to think about the resurrection of Jesus, they must be answered. You just can't sweep it away. And incidentally, that's what's done. You know, brilliant people who do not know Christ satanically in their, in their foolishness say, well, we know that there's no such thing as miracles. They begin at that point, and therefore, there can be no resurrection. What kind of rationale is that? Usually, you begin with the particulars and work towards the conclusion and find out where it leads you, right? And anyway, supernatural, what is that? How much are you able really to do? Can you dunk a basketball? I could never do that. I wanted to. I worked at it. I got my hand in the rim one day up to here. I still remember. It was a big day for me. I can't even, I, can't, I could never. How many can dunk a ball? Let me see. Jamie, could you do it? No, Jim? Jim, you could. Yeah. Anyone else? David? Yeah. What, that, we could you know, barely get off the ground, right? <laughs> I had white man's disease. I got, you know, like. <laughs> supernatural let's remind ourselves something above the natural you don't have to go real far and you're above it right you go well that's supernatural yeah we just showed up here no one you didn't even know anything for five years someone changed your behind and fed you you didn't even know anything you know think about it you know how really great you are not to and this is god's world and we belong to him and he has done this we need to worship him. Two evidences. Real quickly, we've got what? The fact of an empty tomb. You've got to account for it. You can't just sweep it away. And the second one is we've got all these witnesses. So if you're the jury in a court of law, you go like, well, how do we handle this? I mean, you just can't say, well, they're all liars. Or it didn't really happen. And so that's all we're going to do today. So for the words, come and see and go and tell, there's a sermon right there. Come and see. The angels said, come and see, and we're looking in. Nope, he's not here. Go and tell. That sort of summarizes the whole Christian life, doesn't it? Come and see the empty. Go and tell. It's a great news. Some of you are shy. Some of you are, oh, 
The older I get, the more, Lord, let me just shout the great news. Let me figure out how to do it in thought forms that people will embrace, that you'll see them saved. Oh, today's our day to run. Today is. Come and see, go and tell. It's for you and it's for me. Wow, oh, what a salvation. Oh, it's our hope. It's our only hope. Well, the fact of the empty tomb. Matthew 28, 1 to 7. Now, listen, there are only two options for how the tomb was empty. Only two. I mean, it's not like we're down at the ice cream place. I, don't, don't I get 50 choices here? You can't choose anyway. And anyway, you end up choosing the same flavor every time anyway, don't you? You go through and you taste them in those little spoons, and you go like, ah, I'll go back to cookies and cream. No, there are only two choices. Only two. Only two, right? Either man took him out or he was supernaturally released from that. That's it. Say, aren't there other? No. No. It's not a test, not hard. Okay, so look. What, so how can we account for the empty tomb? Well, from the very beginning, shall we say the resurrection day, there have been many explanations offered as to how in the world did this tomb get empty? And incidentally, it's one of the great occasions in my life, I think back, and actually standing in the garden tomb at Gordon's Calvary outside of Jerusalem on Easter Sunday proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Some of you were there. And never forget that. that that's looking inside. And if that wasn't the tomb, boy, you, we, we were close. And I mean, it made make the hair stand up back of your... Uh, Wherever they stand up. Where do they stand up? Back of your head. <laughs> well, what are some supposed explanations of the tomb now empty? First one, here it is. The body of the Lord Jesus was stolen. What, this is a genius theory. Well, they stole the body. Well, this is very old. We saw that in Matthew 28. We read that. The soldiers, after knocked uh, uh, unconscious in, in fright, you know, if an angel walked here in all this glory, we'd all probably pass out. And, there, and on that brilliant, wonderful morning, they did that. The, the regiment of souls, 60 of them, Roman soldiers. These are not wimpy like, oh, we're talking like better than Marines. We're talking special forces, right? They're like, oh, they, they're with fright. There they are, pass out. And when they come to, the stone is rolled away, the body's gone. You know, they, were, they paid for that in Roman history. They paid for that with their life. You know, where'd the body go? Where'd it go? So they scurried off to tell the authorities, hey, you know, an angel, I don't know what happened. It was light. It was this and that. And we, ah, we were all out, laid out. And uh, what, what do we do here? They're nervous. Their lives were required. And so, uh, and so the elders said, don't worry. You know, here's what, what to do. Tell, pass it out if you're asked. The body was stolen. And uh, here's some money. That'll, we'll kind of grease it a little bit here. That's, you know, that's how a lot of people in the world do that. They grease it. No, we, don't, we don't like that here in America, rightfully so. And if it's a problem, we'll take care of business with the other. That was the high priest. The high priest, the stone, originated this, uh, this fabrication. And uh, so they bought off the soldiers. Well, remember, it's uh, humanly impossible to testify about something that... Uh, that happened while you slept. Did you know that? Impossible. You'd be laughed right out of court. Let's say you were in the middle of the night uh, and you were uh, sleeping. And uh, you woke up in the morning and your TV set was gone. I mean, it was gone. You just got a flat screen. There it is. You love the thing, flipping around on it. Gone. 
Now go to court and you testify that while you were sleeping, Billy next door came and stole your TV set. And you were what? Uh, I, well, I, I was sleeping. You were, yeah. And you'd be laughed out of court. It would never stand up. You could not testify about something that happened while you were sleeping, right? Basic, right? That's, that's 101. That's what the, the explanation that uh, they, were, uh, they were to offer if they had been asked. Absolutely impossible. This theory is, does not adequately explain why all the disciples would willingly uh, suffer and die for what they knew was a deliberate lie. This is a huge problem. It's a huge problem. See, there's a psychological part of this, and it's simply this. No one will willfully die for what they know is an outright lie. They won't do it. They put a, a knife to your throat, you know, recant. They'll recant. Uh, you know the history and most of the disciples, all except John, who suffered on Patmos but then died of old age. They all were martyred. And many of the early believers martyred. People do not die in martyrdom for the, what they know is a lie. And it doesn't, it doesn't hold up. It will not hold up. But they will die for what they know is true. Even the American early days of our colonies, they died for a principle. They died for a truth. They died for a dream. These United States and what we enjoy here, freedom of worship and speech and all the rest. Wow. Well, it doesn't hold up. This, this stole the body does not hold up to even remote logic and common sense. Number two, the Jewish and Roman authorities move the body theory. Some actually offer this. Yet this is totally implausible. The tomb, I remind you, was sealed. What that meant is they rolled the, the, uh, the heavy stone. It was a flat stone, about six inches thick, uh, yay high, heavy, rolled it into a carved-out section of ro- where it went downhill just a little bit, and it came up against the stone and was held in place there. And then they put a, a, a wad of paraffin there. That's what that means. It was sealed. And then the, the, they would put an impress, like a, you would do some of you ladies do with fa- fancy stationery. You know, at Christmas time, you want to do something really fancy. You put a little wax there. Put that, oh, and that looked nice, you know. A little imprint. You can tell when it's ripped open. And that was the ceiling of the tomb. You see, they, the enemies of Christ, did not want his body out of there. That's why the soldiers were there. That's why the ceiling were there. And the friends of Jesus could not get his body out of there. They were all scattered. They were grieving, brokenhearted. And so this theory is far removed from any possibility whatsoever. And remember, the answer to this is all the enemies of Christ had to do was to put an end to the early church. Some say to smother the infant church in its cradle. All they had to do was produce the body of Christ. The body was stolen. Here's the corpse. That ends the preaching. Oh, they would have done that in a minute. Here's Peter now on Pentecost preaching. You killed the Lord of glory. Roll his body out. Here it is. And the crowd would have left forever. That's, that's, that's a simple, simple common sense answer to this misguided explanation of how the tomb got empty. There's a third. A third. Some have taught that the women went to the wrong tomb theory suggested that the women were so distraught and confused that they went on that early uh, first Sunday morning to the, to the wrong gravesite. 
Now you can see that. I mean, we at, at uh, times of bereavement, of brokenhearted. I mean, we, I've, we have lost people in our family, and I have cried and cried, and my eyes are filled with tears and sorrow, and I'm not, and I'm not right. You know when stuff happens like that? You're not right. You're not right. You're not right for a while, right? And some of us are never right. And uh, we go like, well, yeah, so maybe... Uh, well, I remind you, in the end of chapter 27, these are the ladies that were right there when they laid him into the tomb. They knew what tomb it was. And then in the early morning, they got up and and carrying spices. They expected the body to be there. They expected the body to be dead. You don't carry spices like that to anoint the body. If you, if you have any hope at all that there was a resurrection, they weren't even thinking that way. In fact, you're going to see all the way through this that they came to believe in the resurrection in a very reluctant way. It shows a genuineness of the text. There was no collaboration. Now let's get together and tell all the same story. It's, it's marked all the way through with genuine reasonableness of their reticence. To, what, what, what's this? He's alive? They're like, and then Thomas, we're all Thomas, like, I won't believe it until I put my hand. There, you see, and it, and that, that all just shouts of the genuineness of the text here. Because we can see it, right? We can see it in all, all of this. And I'll remind you, too, that this was not like Arlington National Cemetery, where they buried him. You know, that great cemetery down outside of D.C. and filled with honor of so many that have given their life for the country. And it's sad to see in recent days, I, I've read that the other week, that, that they found a number of graves that were wrongly marked. What a sad thing to give a son or daughter uh, who died for our country and we're so thankful for our military and then have them uh, laid to rest in Arlington and, and have them in the wrong grave or the wrong markings on it. Uh, I mean, it compounds the sadness there. It, it was not like that. It wasn't forest long outside of New York City. Like, whoa, look at all these stars of David and crosses. Where, where is Grandpa anyway? We don't know where he is. wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was a private garden. And in the garden there was a tomb. So it's like... You know, they're not going to like be standing at the wrong graveside, you see. And so this, this false explanation doesn't hold water when you take a close look at it. And again, all the enemies of Christ could have done is simply gone to the correct. No, you got the wrong one. It's over here. What's the matter with you? That would have ended it all. It would have ended the church. It would have smothered it in his grave. That's it. The reasonable people say, well, Yeah. And so that theory doesn't hold water either. The fourth and final commonly held one through the years was called the swoon theory. And some desperate to deny the resurrection tell that what really happened with Jesus on the cross said, hey, he didn't really die. He appeared to die, but he didn't really die. Oh, he was beaten beyond Mara's beard and the crown on his head and the blood that came down and they stuck him with a sword and they pierced his hand and his feet. with But he, he really didn't die, you know. It was the swooning, the appearance of death. And what really happened was when they carried him away and they put him in the cool, damp tomb, they rolled the stone there, and, and uh, that coolness of the tomb, you know, revived him. I really worry about people that hold this theory. Really do. You know, for a couple of reasons I'll we'll mention in a moment here. I think I said on your sheet <clears throat> that... Uh, here he is in the tomb for, for three days. No food, no water. That'd be a nice hospital clinic, right, for one near, nearly dead. No food, no water, no IVs, right? None of that. And uh, 
Uh, and so on the third day, it's, propo- it's proposed with this theory that the Lord uh, uh, was able to rouse himself, get himself together, and he was strong enough to roll the stone away. What, what's that? Yeah, and break the wrapping that had bound his body, his corpse. And, uh, and not only that, it gets better. Remember on, Emma- on the road to Emmaus, I mean, I've had a little hangnail in my foot. You ever, don't rip your, you know, I hear my mother every time, straight across the toenails here. Some of you don't do that, right? Yeah, I didn't do that a couple of times, and the foot doctor took my nail off, and I, I'll never do that again, ever, 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 never, right? Now imagine if someone put spikes through your feet, right? Now you're going to walk a couple miles down the road to Emmaus? Just kind of like, hey, it's no problem. I could hardly walk with that hangnail going down, digging in. Not Roman spikes through my feet? Oh, yeah, the swoon theory makes good sense, right? And then he appeared victoriously as the author of life. You know, like, impossible. And it begs the question, here's the question. The Romans, they were masters at putting people to death. They were masters at it. They were not wimpy about it, squeamish. They knew how to execute people. And uh, this execution guard with the centurion and his, his band of 100 men, they had killed many, many people. In fact, he had to sign a warrant. He is dead. They knew he was dead. In fact, Pilate called him in. He was surprised. You mean he's dead already after six hours? Remember the Lord, into your hands, Father, I commend thy spirit. Incidentally, those are some of the great words. If I'm conscious and the Lord doesn't come back and I'm ready to go to heaven, I was thinking those would be great words. I might say, well, Father, into, the, into your hands I commit my spirit. Yeah, there, you read that in some other saints in the Bible. What a great thing. Wow. He's gone already, Pilate. So how come? See, sometimes they hung on the cross two and three days. They were, it was a horrible execution tool, that cross. I mean, that's, it wasn't quick death. It was, how long can we have them die? And the Lord died in six hours. Centurion calls him in. Yeah, he's gone. He's dead. Pilate calls him in. Yeah, he's gone. He's gone. They they knew what they were doing. This swoon theory is full of hot air. That's all that it is. And so that doesn't hold up either. Well, the only B, the only adequate explanation of the empty tomb is the supernatural resurrection of the physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus, his soul reuniting with his body, glorified. The whole Old Testament looked forward to it. The New Testament looks back at it. It is the cross and the empty tomb that is the heart of the gospel. Praise the Lord. Number one, Jesus, I remind you, it repeatedly foretold of his coming death and resurrection. Uh, just to show you one point, look at Matthew 16. Verse 21, after they get the right identity. Thou art art the Christ, Peter said, the Son of the living God. Once they they figured out who he was, then he began to unfold the plan again of the the coming days. And and he says in in our text, verse verse, uh, 21, uh, from that time, the time of that ID, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must need go to Jerusalem. You see, it was the plan of God, plan of the ages, and suffer many things, and he did, from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, 
and on the third day be raised again. Of course, Peter rebukes him there. We won't go into that now. But the Lord had repeatedly foretold of his coming death and resurrection. It's like they're walking around in a fog. Have you ever been in a fog? Walk around, ever drive in a fog? Some of you look a little foggy now. They were like in a fog. It's like math class, right? And he's going to show you trigonometry here. going to deal with cosine and parabolas and whatever all that stuff was. You're like, what's that? Could you do that again? It's like, I don't get it. Could you, can you, can, is there, you know, like, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. Even though over and over, this isn't the only place. He's, he begins to set his face towards her. He's, I mean, it's the divine timetable. It didn't come together. didn't click. Even though he had foretold them. And now we look back. We have the benefit. And don't say, well, I'm smart. If I was there, I would have got it. You know, some of you are thinking, I would have got it. I would have got it. I, boy, math, man, that's my son. I'd have got it. No, you wouldn't have. You wouldn't have. They were thinking of an earthly king. They were, they were still thinking, Lord, when you come in your king, can I sit on the right and left? Man, this is going to be great. We're going to throw those Romans out of here. Wow. Oh, what? Death? Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, no, no, Lord, I don't think so. That would have been us. That would have been you. That would have been me. He had told them. Look at the second. This was the sign of, Je- of Jonah. The Lord said, well, what's that? The Lord has done all these miracles demonstrating who he is, and they still won't believe. They refuse to believe. And the Lord says, the only thing you're going to get now to the unbelieving leaders of Israel is the sign of Jonah. What's that? As three days and three nights Jonah was in the the belly of a whale, so the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, third person, will be in the heart of the earth and then arise on the third day. Wow. And even the initial reaction, I said earlier, response of the disciples to him showed their candor and unwillingness. They were so slow to believe. And it reveals the genuineness of the Bible. His was a supernatural raising. It was not human. It was supernatural, divine, that he was brought back to life on the third day. Well, the empty tomb. You've got to, you've got to answer that. What do you think of the empty tomb? What do you think of the empty tomb? And as a jury, what do you think of it? It was either human or divinely vacated. But don't stop there. We find in our text in Matthew 28, there's a second fact. We enter into a court of law. And that is, how do you account for the many, many witnesses? I mean, people actually saw the risen Lord. And in fact, it was was the test of an apostle. Uh, You had to be a... Uh, two things. You had to be called by the Lord to be an apostle. And second, you had to see the risen Lord. And that's why there are no apostles today. Did you know that? I know there are some churches that are apostolic churches. There are no apostles today. None. They were the foundation. Jesus, the cornerstone. Well, what do you do with these witnesses? They have to be accounted for. Look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. You should know that chapter anyway. That's the resurrection chapter of the Bible. It is a wonderful chapter. If you're not acquainted with it, read it this week and study it. Look at what Paul is writing to this church at Corinth, these believers in that pagan sailor town of Corinth, and he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried. That was proof of his death. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. 
And then he's going to begin a sort of a short litany of those that saw the risen Christ. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared more than 500 brothers at one time in Galilee. And then he writes, and most of them are still alive. In other words, go check it out. Now Paul wrote this, this is probably 20 years plus, after the event of Jesus' resurrection. And most of them are still living, he's saying. Go ask them. Go ask them if they saw the Lord of glory resurrected. And so uh, last of all, he's, and he appeared to James. That's his brother, his half-brother. He ended up pastoring the first church there in Jerusalem. And then to all the apostles. And then Paul says, and last of all, verse 8, he, as one untie, he appeared to me. Remember that? Acts 9, the road to Damascus. And the Lord appeared to, to Saul. And said, there, were, there were more than 500 eyewitnesses of those who saw the risen Lord. The most common way that that, uh, that, that uh, critics and cynics and unbelievers reject the eyewitness account is, is that they'll say, well, it was nothing more than hallucination. They hallucinated. It's like they were all smoking LSD or something. Ooh, you know. Listen, we've come to know something about hallucination in our psychological studies and through the science of trying to ascertain what, is, what are hallucinations and it doesn't stand the biblical test of what we know to be true from these witnesses. What do we need? Number one, but we, we, we need to ask, uh, first of all, in knowing about hallucination, that usually they come from highly imaginative people. Tell me again what you saw. Ooh, it's like the outer limits. I saw this. And you have to ask, were these highly imaginative people who were nervous? And they also tend to be nervous. No way. We're talking about salt-of-the-earth people here. We're talking plain, street-level people. I love these people. Fishermen, carpenters, hard-working people. They're not given to these kind of, kind of things. They walked with their feet on the ground. And so that is not a part of the baggage of these. No way. Number two, also we know that hallucinations are subjective. No two are alike. No. Tell me your story again. I'll tell you my story. Weird and wonderful and ah, ah. All of these agree. Impossible for hallucinations. And third, to hallucinate, one must desire to do so. You sit around and, and you sort of put yourself in a mindless state or drug-enhanced state. And you hallucinate and see weird and wonderful things that you alone see and the guy next to you alone does see something wholly different. That theory does not stand up at all. At all. And it has to be totally and utterly rejected. For, we're, the, again, we see that these dear ones were convinced against their will. They were like Thomas. Uh, I won't believe unless I put my, hand, my fingers in his, his wounded hands. And uh, a week later he had that opportunity, didn't he? He fell on his face. We call him Doubting Thomas. Well, that would be all of us, wouldn't it? Well, what was it that changed this band of cowardly disciples? And do you know they were cowards? They all fled. I'm out of here. Feet do your thing, right? Put my Nikes on. I'm gone. I see what's happening. That was at the arrest. Then the crucifixion. 
And now we're making scares. We're not it. They were cowardly. They were weak. They were fearful. What changed this band of cowardly disciples into a men of courage and conviction so that they would even lay down their very life? And there's only one answer that stands up. It was the actual physical bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was life-changing. And you know what? It still is today. It still is today. It's the heart of the gospel. And I don't know if you today have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great day, Easter day, to be able to do that. The Bible says that we're all born in sin, and because of that, you're born lost, and so am I. And why God should allow me and you to gather close and hear the great news of the gospel. It is an amazing thing that God in his favor has allowed that for you and for me. And do you know that you can pray a simple prayer of faith this morning and receive Christ the Lord as your Savior from your sin, and he will save you based upon the cross and his payment only. You can't do anything. Don't try and add to it. In recent uh, weeks, I've been able to, Faith and I saw a Rembrandt painting, absolutely beautiful painting, self-portrait that he did of himself. He did a lot of them. Through the age, through his years, absolutely exquisite. And you know what? They there at that uh, museum did not want me to get a paintbrush and try and touch it up. They would have arrested me right away on the ground, carry him out. I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> Something far more greater, greater than a Rembrandt that a lot of people try and touch up and add to it. He said, well, if I try and be good, you can't be good enough, you're lost. It's the Grand Canyon. The golf is too great. And God has provided and laying down a cross, and it's the only way that that chasm can be spanned. And it's a gift. You must receive it. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. From sin. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for the empty tomb. It validated everything you said and done. did. Praise God for that. That's the foundation. That's why we meet as a church. That's who we are, is grace. To make disciples. To come and see and go and tell. That's what it's all about. It's not rocket science. And all of us are a part of it. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. for Well, lessons for our life, number one. Number one, today we celebrate, and I mean celebrate, Jesus' victory over death. Wow. He alone is the resurrection and the life. We celebrate it. It means everything to me. I mean, someday if the Lord tarries and you get a bad report, a lot of things that seem important today will fade. It will. It has a great way of shaking up priorities. And all of a sudden, the reality of the Bible and the reality of the cross, the reality of the empty tomb, and the reality of heaven will mean more to you than anything. Any bank account, any physical sporting skill you have, a million friends you have, what people think of you, okay, I guess, in their place. Wow. It's the resurrection. It's amazing to me. And, it, and folks at those times, oh, where's my Bible? Blow the dust off. I'm going to start reading it. Don't wait to that day. 
It's ama- isn't it amazing how, how people, how men, I, I often think of men who are overweight, under-exercised, and they go to the doctor and he goes like, I hear something in your chest. And all of a sudden, like, for like 30 years, I don't have time to exercise. That week, they're down at the Y. It's amazing how that has a way of altering our priorities, doesn't it? Well, there's something far more important than that. And someday that ticker is going to stop. It is. You don't have control of that. Don't wait. Don't wait for the bad report. Don't wait for the sorrow and the grief. And some of you have been walking through that. Today, draw close. Come and see. Go and tell. Live a life of Christ. Be Christ. Be Jesus to all that you meet. There's nothing else. I would tell you if there was. There's nothing else. We leave it all behind. When will we wake up and live that way? Wow, we celebrate. Number two, Jesus' resurrection is not an optional Bible teaching. It's the crown jewel. It's, we're not ordering pizzas here. I don't like anchovies. I want pepperoni. Give me onion. I do like onion on pizza. Onion's good. It's not that. You don't go through your Bible and say, well, you know, I have a, really, I have a hard time with I, I like most of it, but, you know, the supernatural, uh, I'm not so sure. No way. It's all or nothing. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away before one jot and one tittle. This book disappears. It's the whole deal. It's the whole deal. It's not optional. Praise God for it. Number three, this day provides all of us who know Jesus with the hope of our own resurrection. Wow. Wow. When the grip of death grips us, our hope that this body will be raised incorruptible, imperishable. 1 Corinthians 15. Wow. Number four. Because Jesus is risen, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Don't move off the truth of it. Move out. Serve him. Remember that a couple years ago, we, we looked at that. Uh, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so we summarize and say, wait, what's he saying? Because of the resurrection, because of Jesus's, because of our coming one, don't move. Don't move off that crown jewel truth. Don't move. Don't meander away. Don't lose your Bible. But more than that, because of that, move out. Be steadfast, immovable, and then move out. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's action. That's moving out. That's serving Christ in your home, your marriages, your workplaces, wherever you are. Move out. Because you know your work in the Lord is not in vain. Praise God for the number five and last. Today, open your heart. I urge you and receive the risen Savior as your very own. Will you do that? Would you receive Christ today? I plead with you. Receive him as your very own. Not your mother's, not your dad's, not your neighbor, not your sister or brother, but you must be born again. Receive him. He stands, he looks, he waits, he calls. Come to the risen Savior today. Well, the crown jewel. Someday you may see the crown jewels. You'll see what I mean. You won't want to men be buying those for your wife, probably, on uh, Mother's Day or her birthday. (laughs) 
No way. And there's nothing like it in the jewelry stores around here. Say, well, I've been to some nice ones. You haven't seen anything yet. In fact, you probably don't want your wife to see those jewels. But uh, there's something more wonderful than stuff that's going to burn up. And that's the resurrection. He's not here. He's risen. Just as he said. He's not here. He's risen. One more time. He's not here. He's risen. Amen. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father.